As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, everybody. It's Arthur Staple. Welcome back to No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Today is a very, very special episode of No Sleep Till Belmont, maybe one of our most special that we've had, because our guest co-host for this week and next week is NHL Hall of Famer, legendary Islanders captain, the first number that was raised to the Nassau Coliseum, soon to be UBS Arena rafters, Dennis Potvin. Dennis, welcome to the show. Well, Arthur, thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you here. Um, Dennis helped me incredibly with uh, the Islanders book that I wrote that just came out, 100 Things Islanders Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. Helped me write the forward, talked to me for way too long about some great old stories, and we'll get to that in a minute. Dennis is uh, on his way down tonight to see the Islanders and the Panthers play down in Florida, and will also, of course, be up at UBS for the uh, incredible opening weekend of that building. How excited are you as someone who's been a part of this organization for a long, long time? just to see this new building actually come to fruition. Well, you know, it's kind of like I wish I were playing. (laughs) Um, I think I I would have a memo for the boys uh, in the dressing room, and I'm sure Anders Lee, uh, you know, his voice traveled, but uh, I would say, hey, boys, we're in Florida now. Next game is our season opener in in, uh, Belmont. So why don't we come in with a winning record? And that's kind of the motivation I think the Islanders are going to have tonight against Florida. But uh, my being there over the weekend is something I deliberated about. I'm not going to lie about it. It was, it was something that, uh, you know, I want to be there. And, uh, you know, both the Islanders and I said, we just made it happen. So I'm looking forward to it. When uh, you played in the Coliseum for a long time, and it was pretty new when you first got in there was it ever a great building to play in just as a building because the most of us know it now as or at least in recent years is maybe not the greatest place uh, as far as infrastructure goes but certainly a hard place to play what was it nice when you first went in there oh my god yes it was i mean uh, i came in in what september of 1973 and i think the building was barely a year old at that point now <clears throat> i can't speak for the fans uh, there, I don't remember a time where I, uh, during the hockey game, went up and got a beer at one of the concession stands. So I was, uh, my view was really from the inside. And, uh, you know, you look, I mean, you're asking about a 19-year-old boy coming out of Canada, playing in the NHL in the New York market. 
Uh, it was unbelievably great, as far as I could tell. The building, the fans, everything about it. Well, that's good to know because, like I said, I don't think a lot of I don't think a lot of fans who were in the building in the last thirty years or so ever thought this is a great place to to be. But um, well, if I may jump in, you know, again, you're asking my perspective, and I think that it's informative to the fans. Uh, the ice probably was as good as any ice in the National Hockey League, including some of the Canadian rinks, and uh, that's one of the other reasons why we loved it because uh, it was incredibly well-maintained and of course that's important to me that's our life you know skating on one-eighth of an inch blades you want to have the ice smooth and hard and that's what we had well that's uh that's something that i think a lot of people did talk about uh because it didn't get a ton of use uh, in that building all the time so i think that was probably one of the one of the highlights even through some of the dark years but uh, when you were back you were able to come back uh towards the end of last playoff run when they closed the building right. out in such fine form you know you, you've uh, working as a broadcaster in florida and ottawa you certainly came back to the building a lot and saw the islanders over the years after you retired um what was it like to see the building as excited maybe as it was for all of your championship years in full and going crazy for some of those games that you were at you know uh john ledecky made it possible for a few of us uh including uh Clark clarky and johnny t tonelli um, to be sort of, I think we were eighth or tenth row behind the penalty box. I had never sat there. In all the years I went to the building, I never sat there to go watch a hockey game. And um, the the building was, I mean, how can I say? I mean, it just shook under my feet. It was great. So I really enjoyed uh, going back and seeing that playoffs and seeing the support, uh, seeing the old building. And to me, you know, uh, Age doesn't matter, Arthur, as we get to be our age, right? So I wasn't looking at the negatives of, <laughs> of the building, but all the positives and, you know, the cheering crowd and everybody, you know, saying, hey, Dennis, how are you? And saluting and everything else. It was it was like getting back into the 80s. <laughs> and there are a lot of fans who go to the games who remember very well the Dynasty era. Um, what does that feel like now that you're, you know, a few years past retirement as a broadcaster and not a regular visitor? When the fans, maybe some of them that seem like they might be too young to remember you, remember you so well. Well, I think that what's happened over the years, and you know, I broadcast a long time here in Florida, and uh, it wasn't unusual for uh, a man or a mother or both parents walk up to me with a 10 or 12-year-old boy or girl and say, Do you know who that is? He is the man I grew up with or something of that nature in terms of following and being a fan of the uh, 70s and the 80s. So I think a lot of it has transitioned down through generation. Of course, Google has certainly helped a lot in YouTube. But uh, I think we still have a lot of fans. I mean, you know, I I'll throw a little self-promotion at you. I'm on Cameo. And I got to tell you, <laughs> you know, the people from Long Island that are booking me for uh, videos, whether it's their birthday or wedding, is tremendous. So it, it keeps it all alive for me. And uh like I said, that you know you were able to see some of the playoff games, some really important games for the Islanders, which we haven't seen a lot in the last few decades. When you followed this team the last couple of playoff runs, um, we all were following it from our couch in 2020 when they were in the bubble. But last year to be back in person and see how kind of a quick transformation that Lou Lamarillo and Barry Trotz have made with this with this franchise and with this team, what does that make you feel? 
Well, I can tell you exactly how it went, Arthur. I was in Canada at the time, and uh, that the <clears throat> the Islanders were playing the Bruins. And, you know, I watch, of course. I, I don't watch diligently, but I watch, especially the playoffs, as I do in most other sports. But I must say, I was very impressed with the way they played the Bruins and finally ended up winning the series. And that was a big part of me, leaving Canada, of course, with all these COVID things going on, and still coming down and spending the better part of a week to uh, watch uh, games three, four, and six, I believe. So I spent a good week in Long Island during those uh, those playoffs against Tampa Bay. And, and uh, that's it was really was an energized building and a, a really nice week for me. So, you know, John Ledecky and the Islanders made it possible for me to get down and hang out for the week. It was great, really great. I was excited to watch him play and very impressed with the style. Uh, I can tell you, as an as an analyst, Arthur, I, I knew right away that uh, uh, Pajot uh, had an injury. I could tell. Uh, and, of course, we could tell against Tampa Bay, in my view. Uh, they, they sorely missed Anders Lee, that big presence in front of the net. Yeah, it was, and the fact that they were able to go as far as they were, um, as they did, yeah. rather, is, uh, is even more impressive. Um, this season, Islanders are struggling a little bit, but uh, there is a, a fun connection to your initial playing days with Zach Parise uh, signing with the Islanders this <laughs> year. And obviously his dad and you have go way, way back to 1975 in Madison Square Garden. Um, yeah, when you okay. saw that Zach sign there, what did you think? You know, I liked it. I, I, I give him a lot of credit for persevering, uh, a characteristic that uh, probably uh, mirrors his father. Uh, when I played against JP, there was never a downtime. There were only the possibilities of uptimes. So whenever we played and you go back to that Rangers series in 1975, he was one of those few veterans, you know, like uh, Drew Druin and Eddie Westfall in particular, who were so positive that all we need to do is any negative we can turn into a positive any team we could beat and here we were like a third-year franchise so we ended up winning a huge series so when i'm broadcasting and i see that uh zach is now a member of the new jersey devils as i did every game day i would go down to the dressing rooms and you know try and interview the coach both home and visiting coach and Talked to a few of the players, trying to build a story for that evening. Mm -hmm. And uh, when he was in the dressing room, I walked into the New Jersey dressing room. And somehow, I guess he knew I was coming in. He was looking straight at me. And all I did is walk over to him. And that was it. That was my interview for the morning. He was so interesting. And we talked so much about his dad. Uh, that's all I needed for the evening broadcast. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Speaking of Zach Parise and his dad, we'll get into a little bit more of Dennis's playing career with the Islanders, which is uh, filled with a lot of highlights. Um, that year in 74-75, your second year in the year that the Islanders kind of put themselves on the map with that overtime win in in Madison Square Garden over the Rangers, thanks to Zach's dad, J.P. Parise. Yeah. What was it like in that year? Um, you know, your rookie year, the team had improved in Al Arbor's first season, but not a ton. And then that third year of the org- franchise's existence, what was it like to, you know, you were part of the young core. Bill Torrey yeah. brought in some good veterans, and suddenly the team just burst onto the scene. Well, you know, it... it, it I actually went back to look at that the other day, uh, just out of curiosity. There's something that popped up. And, uh, you know, there was a time when we were struggling so bad in my first year. I think we only won, you know, 15 games that whole first year. But we allowed 100 fewer goals against than the previous year, which was the Islanders' first year in the NHL. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that was under Al Arbor. So you've got to start there. I think every every professional coach, whatever, you know, whatever league it's in, you know, I, I, I hear, you know, I hear football coaches say the same thing. The defense is very important. And Al was always, you know, preaching that if we play, if you're in good position defensively, you're going to be in good position offensively. And of course, he had to drill that message into me a lot. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love to carry the puck and move up. But anyway, that leads me to the story of JP and Jude. It was an unbelievable trade. Uh, even Lou Nanny, who was the general manager of Minnesota, would admit today that Bill Torrey really, really took it to him in terms of making that trade. It's not important who went the other way. I don't want to say names. But getting Jude and JP at this point in their career was terrific. And, you know, there was that special, special meeting on the ice after we got down 3 nothing to Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And it was Jude, it was J.P. Parise, who, after listening to Al Arbor talk to us and telling us that he believed in us and that he felt he was responsible. This is Al saying this. He was responsible for our not being well enough prepared against the Pittsburgh Penguins. This is after beating the Rangers. Now, always remember, J.P. Parise skating around. I don't know if he was talking to me or just talking to himself. But I clearly heard him say, I've never heard a coach say that. And that was huge. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because then after that, we ended up winning three in a row. And JP was there scoring the goals. And he and Jude Druin and, uh, uh, and Eddie Westfall mostly played together. They were, it was great. It was a great, great time. And of course, we ended up winning that Pittsburgh series and we wanted to Went on to Philly, did the same thing. We lost the first three, but unfortunately, we couldn't win that fourth one. So Jude and JP uh, you know, immediately brought maturity, which was something you trade for. But I don't think any of us or anybody expected to see the kind of hockey that they could they could play. And they were tremendous players. Yeah. Hearing that about Al Arbor, and we certainly talk about that in, in the book, um, you know, Al... You mentioned about defense leading to offense. Barry Trotz definitely preaches very much the same way. Maybe has a little different 
uh, skill level to deal with and obviously a different league to deal with than, than you guys had in the 70s. Oh, yeah. but, but, but Al's connection to you guys, not he wasn't a softy, but he definitely knew how to connect with everyone, it seemed, because all of you guys that played for him for so long have different stories about how important he was to you. Is there one for you that stands out uh, from your time with Al? <laughs> uh, well, yes, there are, there are several. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, before, uh, uh, you know, before <laughs> there were a lot of times when he came in and he pointed me out in front of the other players. And, you know, he said to me one time, he said, Dennis, it's one thing to, play with a piano on your back meaning i wasn't skating very well but dennis it's another thing to stop and play the effing thing <laughs> so i think i went out there in a rage after that and uh went out and did my thing but he had a way of dealing with every individual not not everybody could take you know an open comment like that in front of the team and go out and play better um i was okay with it but there are other guys who may not wanted to do that but they could see what al was doing and every one of us has the same thing we say the same thing year and year and year out and you know whether it's uh, bobby nye or trotch you know clarky we all say the same thing he was hard on us but we respected him tremendously and uh you mentioned some of your old dynasty teammates and we're all thinking about mike bossy and what his yeah. what he's going through right now um what did you know? Mike's arrival kind of was the was one of the last little pieces of your core puzzle, mm. um, but he was also a very different sort of person. You know, I've I heard lots of great stories about Mike and kind of being this skinny uh, guy who didn't look like he could skate ten strides without falling over when he first got to you guys. <laughs> what uh, you know? But he was such a special player. What do you remember most about him? Well, I'll take that comment and I'll put it right back at you. I don't know who said it to you, but. I don't know how, and I don't, I will never comment on how he skated. What I will tell you is when I'm going through the neutral zone or with the puck in the offensive zone, he got to the open spot somehow. <laughs> I would say, well, you know, Trotz and I and whoever else on the ice were able to feed him. So his secret, you know, the second part of the secret was one of the great shots in the game. He could release the puck so quickly. He didn't practice every day. But how he managed to move around the ice and be open, stick down, ready to fire as soon as you could get in the puck, that's the true magic of Mike Bossy. And, you know, we, uh, I just talked to uh, Brian Trottier the other day, and we're, you know, we're uh, in communication with Boss, and it's a very difficult time. But, you know, in Montreal, there's another hero that's uh, really in trouble right now, too, physically, and that's Guy Lafleur. So, you know, myself being from French Canada, I talked to the media up there and, you know, everybody's very concerned uh, because those two guys are hockey icons uh, in the game uh, coming from French Canada. And, you know, uh, Boss still has the record that will never be beaten, scored 50 plus goals, nine consecutive seasons, beginning with his rookie year. That'll never be. Yeah. Amazing. In the uh, in the 70s, you guys. uh built yourselves up into president's trophy winners, um, you know, the best team in the league, but there was a few roadblocks in the playoffs before you were able to get over the, get over the hump. And as you went through those years and, and, you know, the, the one in 79 was probably the one that hurt the most since it was to the hated Rangers in the semifinals. Mm -hmm. um, what were those years like as you kind of, you know, you weren't, didn't know what was to come, but uh, 
But as you established yourselves as the best team in the league and weren't able to make it happen in the playoffs, which has happened to a few teams recently. Tampa went through that for a lot of years before they broke through. Um, What was it like in the room year after year to to know that you were that good, but still not able to to get where you needed to want to you wanted to be? Well, my recollection is, is, you know, I, I say universal, but that means throughout the dressing room. Uh, we may be, we may have not looked into the mirror enough. Um, we were the best in the league, particularly in 1979. So you look at the New York Islanders in 1979, even before, you know, the trade uh, by Butch, for Butch Goring. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, what am I saying? 1980, yeah, 79-80 right. season. Uh, we were the best team in the NHL the prior year in point totals. Very, uh, very dominant hockey team. And we took, I guess, the unprudent attitude that, well, we'll just win these uh, this series and move on. Uh, didn't happen that way. Both against Toronto and the Rangers, we ended up losing early in the playoffs. It wasn't like we made it to the finals in either one of those years. And I think maybe that was the real message you know, my gosh, you know, there are so many teams, uh, eight or nine teams that are better than us in the playoffs. It was very, very humbling. Uh, I know I felt that uh, Ray Shiro, I thought, who coached my brother in Philadelphia many years prior, I thought did a masterful job of, you know, of wearing us down. Uh, they had a good skating team. Of course, you know, the JD, John Davidson, was unbelievable in goal. So that always matters, you know, even back then uh, as much as it does now. But it did lead us to uh, a series that I think catapulted us into the cannot be beaten category. And that's when we played the Boston Bruins. In 1980, we played the Boston Bruins, and we knew it was going to be a physical game. And everybody had to stand up to the big, bad Bruins. They had many guys. I mean, the O'Reilly's and Stan Jonathan and, you know, Wensick and Cashman, they were all very involved. When we came through that series and our hero, and I think the MVP of that series being Clark Gillies uh, and Bobby Nystrom and the guys that took control of that part of the game, that was a defining moment for the organization. Because now we knew we could beat you by goals. We knew we could beat you by skating, even a bit of a physical play. But could we actually withstand the onslaught of those kind of battles? And we did. And I think that was a pivotal moment uh, leading into the four Stanley Cups. Well, this is uh, this is as I expected. Amazing stuff to to talk to Dennis Potvin, not just about now and UBS Arena, but uh, some of the old days. And we're gonna have we're lucky enough to have him come back next week, and that's when we'll get into the dynasty era. We'll be able to answer some questions via Twitter. So, Dennis, this was great. I appreciate you coming on, and thanks so much. And we'll we'll, we'll do it again next week. Thank you very much, Arthur. Pleasure talking with you about the old days. Appreciate it. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Well, that was, uh, as expected, Dennis Potvin, incredible stuff, talking about new arena, old, the old arena, uh, his genesis as an Islander in the 70s and Al Arbor and all that stuff. And I'm 
we're really excited that we're going to get him back on next week to talk maybe about the four Stanley Cup in that era and uh, what was to come after that. Uh, we'll shift gears now and go back to the current Islander team, um, which is finally coming home after their game tonight in Florida. Uh, five, five, and two entering this game. Not great. Uh, not even really good. Uh, pretty solidly mediocre. Uh, three. They've lost the last three. And none of them have really been close. You know, Minnesota was essentially a one-go game with two empty net goals. Um, the Devils game was 4 nothing, and that was really, you know, Islanders had plenty of chances in that game. Mackenzie Blackwood was really good. Um, and then last night in Tampa, which was, again, kind of a one-goal game going to the third and a lot of chances for the Islanders. Um, but let's talk about the lineup that Barry Trotz put out there and, and could be some more interesting Decisions to come tonight. Uh, no Noah Dobson in the game last night. Sebastian Ajo made a season debut and ended up leading the team in ice time with over 23 minutes, which was definitely a surprise. And the other surprise was Oliver Wallstrom dropping down to the fourth line. Casey Zizekas was a late scratch due to a non-COVID-related illness. Um, and Trotz as much said in the postgame that Wallstrom would have been scratched had Casey been able to go. So you would have had both of their 2018 top 15 draft picks, guys that are two youngest guys in their lineup sitting out uh, in Wallstrom and Dobson, which, you know, the optics of that are not great. Um, It does tend to reinforce the thought that uh, Barry Trotz prefers his veterans over his young players. And I think maybe a little throwback to the end of the Tampa series when Wallstrom was healthy, but didn't get back in the lineup. Travis Ajak played. They got shut out in Tampa in game seven. And um, you can second guess all you want. Now, the Islanders have three goals in in these three losses. Um, They've certainly generated enough chances, but uh, but seeing Wallstrom essentially playing on a, you know, every other shift on the fourth line with Cal Clutterbuck, who's not a center, and Matt Martin. um, And, you know, Barry Trotz legitimately has a gripe. You know, he feels like a lot of the details in Wallstrom's game have disappeared. But this is still the guy that leads them in power play points. It's still the guy who's second on the team in goals. And if you take out Brock Nelson's four-goal game, he's first on the team in goals in terms of the guy who's been scoring consistently over the the first dozen games. Um, And I certainly hear the argument, and Barry Trotz is the coach, and Lou Lamarillo is the GM, so you know what you're going to get in general. Um, And there's certainly been enough success in both of their careers to defer to them. And Barry Trotz wants to see... Better details from from his young players in Dobson and Wallstrom. All good. Um, the problem, I think, now is you've got a lot of guys who aren't scoring. And, uh, you know, Kyle Palmieri is still sitting on zero goals. Zach Parise got bumped up to the top line, zero goals, although he did have a nice assist to set up the one goal last night for Matthew Barzal. Josh Bailey's at one goal. He's been bouncing around the lineup and hasn't been terribly effective lately. Um so this is, you know, J.G. Pajot was at one goal and he played a ton last night, kind of, you know, essentially a jack of all traits uh, for him. I think he led the forwards a nice time. So it, it felt a little bit like a makeshift lineup to accommodate some of the decisions that Trotz wanted to make. And obviously, Sezikis's illness complicated things. And we could see Sezikis back tonight and we could see Wallstrom in the, in the press box down in Florida. Um, Sebastian Ajo did media this morning, so you'd think he'd still be in. I don't know if anybody, any of the veterans are going to come out, but, um, I'm just not sure that the message that Trotz wants to send is the right one right now, given 
their struggles. You know, Aho came in and ran the power play in Dobson's absence, and I think Dobson maybe his his main failing so far is that he's not looking very confident running one of the power play units. But Otto didn't either. Uh, he didn't have any shots in the power play, even though he was out there a lot. He seemed to defer a lot to Barzal and Bailey on the wings. Um, and I think you've got to come in and kind of got to have an aggressive mindset if you're if you're Aho. You know that the the opportunities are few and far between. So uh, I'm curious to see how things proceed. But uh, in in the bigger picture, you know they're five five and two. Even a regulation loss in Florida tonight, depending on how it goes. They come out of this 13-game road trip with 12 points. Um, not ideal, but I think you'd take it at the beginning of it, given the, the stops and starts, you know, the long stretches without games, and then having to fly back out, some time zone changes. It's been a weird start to the season, and, and weird is really what the Islanders have become used to in the last couple of years, and I think all of us have become a little used to it in the, in the pandemic era. But for them, a team that, that spent the longest time away from home in the bubble, um, you know, even though they didn't make the finals, they were they were the last team, one of the last teams standing in Toronto. So they were there the longest, along with along with Tampa, and then went to Edmonton for a bit. So um, they understand what it is to kind of be in this sort of bunker mentality, in and out of home. Um, they managed to avoid any sort of COVID situations these last couple of years, which has been fortunate and good for them. But uh, but you knew this was going to be a struggle. So you know, I think at the beginning of it. Six, five, and two, 14 points, you'd absolutely sign up for that. And if they can get a win tonight, that's what they'll have. It'll be Ilya Sorokin in net. Uh, Semyon Varlamov's played last night. He was okay, but I think he's still not quite where he needs to be. That's another aspect of all this, where you've you've also gotten through the stretch with essentially one goalie instead of the two you, you thought you'd have. Um, so, you know, it's hard. It's hard to, you know, you drill into the, the micro stuff and you say, geez, what's going on here but i think macro level you say even though this team is sitting in last in a, in the metro division where everybody seems to win every night um i think they're still sitting okay and uh you know they also now are in a situation with the departure of johnny boychuk in the contract trade to buffalo and leo komarov's departure uh deciding to tear up his the last year of his deal and go play in khl um You've got some room to work with now. They're they're at uh, about four million in cap space right now. Uh, depending on what they maneuver around with, that could be even bigger. But they can add a pretty significant contract if they want to. And and looking at their lineup right now, um, you know, I would think the defense is the place that they'd want to add. And there's certainly a couple of teams that are starting to fall out of the race as we get towards Thanksgiving next week. Um, who might be interested in in making a swap? The Islanders have some assets to work with. Whether it's a call-up, you know, Robin Salas had a, had a very good run in Bridgeport. Um, Samuel Bolduck a little bit less so. He seems like he's taking a little bit of time to get up to speed. That groin injury that he's had seems to have slowed him down a bit, but he's not he's not quite getting as much ice time and responsibility as he did last year in Bridgeport. Um, and Anatoly Goloshev is really the other one that's kind of a wild card, a guy who came over from the KHL, um, may not stick around much longer from what I'm hearing if he doesn't get a call up and that would require someone to go back down uh, and possibly someone to go on waivers. So, you know, if they want to make some changes, they could be more drastic, but uh, I don't know that drastic change is really in Barry Trotz's wheelhouse, especially this early in the season. So we'll see how they do tonight. Um, if there's a, a better performance and certainly a better goalie performance, they can get out of this crazy road trip with more points than games. And that's really been the goal. So uh, we'll have to see. and. Um, 
you know, it, it, I'm curious. Uh, I'm curious to see how they how they bring it back and, and get started at UBS, where the building will be loud and full this weekend. Calgary's coming in, who's been off to one of the best starts in the se- in the in the league this year, and then on Sunday, John Tavares comes in with the Leafs, and that should be raucous, no matter where it's played. So uh, definitely uh, have to keep an eye on that. And like I said, as Dennis Popin pointed out, he will be there this weekend. I'm sure a lot of the other Dynasty Islanders will be in the building for people to say hi to, and uh, and I'm we're pretty excited that uh, we'll get to catch up with him again when after the opening weekend of UBS Arena is over and hear his thoughts. So thanks for listening to No Sleep Till Belmont. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave a rating and review. If you're enjoying the show, it really helps us out. You can subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, then just 99 cents a month after that. Right now, annual subscriptions to The Athletic are just $3.99 a month. When you visit theathletic.com slash no sleep till Belmont. Only a few more sleeps until Belmont. It's pretty exciting. And thanks again to Dennis Potman. Catch you next week.